Okay. Welcome, everybody. As we continue on in our study of the New Testament, we're working through it a chapter at a time. We are two years plus into this study. We've done the Gospels. We did Matthew. We did Mark. We did John because we skipped over Luke. Then we did Luke. And now we're doing Acts. Luke and Acts tie together very nicely, both written by Luke to Theophilus. Luke uh, records for us in the Gospel of Luke the, the life and the ministry of Jesus through the crucifixion and resurrection in the book of Acts. He picks up from uh, Jesus' time with his disciples before the ascension, the ascension, and then the Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 and the beginning of the church. And that the book of Acts then um, records for us how the church got started from there and what happened. And... Um, let me say this again. I think it's so important that, that you connect with the book of Acts. It's, it's your story. It's our story. While we're no longer writing canon, the Bible is done. We don't add to it. Yet the story of the book of Acts, in some level, continues on in us. And, and, and just the way that we read about these people, um, the, these are the same situations you find in your own lives. A, a lot of... Um, uh, you can relate, to, I think, to a lot of these stories. Now, obviously, we're not all, you know, uh, like the Apostle Paul or the Apostle Peter, but some of the other characters that we've been introduced to, I think we can, we can begin to sort of understand and see how God uses regular people, and that's what he does, and, and, uh, and that we're still part of the story uh, today, and that the interactions you have with people in regards to the Lord and the things that God uses you in are sort of a part of this process of, of being involved in his story. And so it's a, it's a great honor, I think, to be a part of his story and what that looks like. And throughout the book of Acts, you know, we started with the early church, a lot of uh, the ministry of Peter. We watched the church begin to spread initially through persecution. Um, they, they, they started to get chased out of where they were began to spread just like Jesus said they would spread into Samaria, Judea, um, and the Holy Spirit came to those people, and then um, to the home of Cornelius, the first contact with the Gentiles, and again, the, the Holy Spirit came in that process. Uh, uh, later on, Paul um, picked up the missionary uh, you know, burden that the Lord had for him, and, and he began to spread the gospel to the known parts of the world at that time, particularly to the Gentiles. Um, he always went and spoke to the Jews, but, but the, the church thrived um, in those places through uh, the Gentiles. And we have watched over these chapters the churches take off in each of Paul's missionary journeys. We've watched the church grow uh, as, he, as he planted churches where he went, and, and they've gone back and ministered to them. And that as we continue on in the New Testament, I want you to connect with the idea that what Paul is doing in the rest of those letters He's writing back to the churches that were planted, and he's giving them instruction. And, and he's usually dealing with very specific questions that were asked of him. And he's answering them in those letters. Situations that he hears of, things that they bring to him, because he's helping them to grow. See, the, you know, this all happens in a relatively short period of time. Um, you know, 30 years for the book of Acts. Uh, and, and, you know, Paul's ministry, th these things are happening pretty quick. The church is brand new. This is a whole new deal. And so there's a lot of questions that they have. And oftentimes Paul was in an area for a short period of time and a church would start and he would be heading out because either he got chased out of town or he had to go somewhere else. And, and so there were some things that, that they had to learn about as they were growing. And 
even the church itself was learning. They, they were encountering new things all the time. We, we've seen the, the, you know, the council in, in the, that had to meet to, to figure out how to even incorporate the Gentiles into the process. Well, now in the ministry of Paul, um, and in these last chapters, um, remember Paul, at the end of that last journey, had um, organized an offering, and we'll read about that uh, in, as we look in the letters, through, from the Gentile churches to go to the church of Jerusalem. The church of Jerusalem was going through a really difficult time, needed the money. Paul felt that this was a great opportunity to demonstrate the unity of the church, Gentile and Jew, had the, the Gentile churches at the time um, take up offerings, which he then took to Jerusalem. Um, he knew prophetically from lots of different sort of interactions that it, this was going to be a difficult journey for him, a difficult process that he would face prison and uh, lots of other sort of persecutions, and yet he felt compelled to go. And it seems as though the Lord was sending him. And, um, you, you know, I love Paul. Um, and and in, in the whole process, I was, I was thinking about how, you know, when Paul, Paul, Paul was first a persecutor of the church, and we'll hear that story again. Uh, and then, you know, he had the encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road where he was blinded, and then, then one, of the, one of the guys, prophetic guys, comes to him because the Lord sends him and prays for him, and he's healed, he can see, and he gets his commission to go to the Gentiles. He goes back into Jerusalem, and he's really good at presenting the gospel because he's so well-studied and learned, and he brings so much heat on the church. The church finally says, look, you need to get out of here. And, and so they send him off to Tarsus, where he's kind of just out there, and it looks like he spent almost 10 years just kind of hanging out, you know, polishing up on his studies and all those things, I guess. Uh, when Barnabas goes and gets him because the church in Antioch had started, Barnabas was there, remembers Paul, goes and gets him, and that's where Paul's ministry really engages at that point. And then he's off now on these missionary journeys, and God has used him mightily throughout the world to plant churches. Well, now, going back to Jerusalem, a problem has arose. Uh, even though he wasn't doing anything wrong, the, uh, he just spent those last three years in, the, uh, in Ephesus, in the province of Asia, and um, they don't like what he did. He, his ministry was so amazing there that the Jewish leaders were out to get him. They came to Jerusalem, saw him there, trumped up some charges, which we've seen happen from the religious community all the time, and um, a mob riot starts, uh, the, the commander, the Roman commander, rescues Paul and is trying to get to the bottom of the situation. And if you remember, he, he was going to have Paul flogged, and then Paul pulls the Roman citizen card. So he can't do that. So he decides to take him in front of the Sanhedrin, sort of the ruling Jewish leader group, to see if he can find out what's going on. And that's where we left it last week. Um, remember this about the Romans. The Romans sort of ruled in an interesting way in that when they conquered all these countries, they pretty much left the, the um, local politics and ruling order alone. They let them continue to exist. They would put soldiers in the area. They would, they would keep everything in, in running, um, but they didn't get into the local sort of situation very often. Um, and, and so they, they in, in Jerusalem, they were still basically run by the, the Jewish leaders. Now, you know, what they did was impose taxes and everything for their soldiers. But, uh, so that's why the commander could, in effect, go to the Jewish leaders to see if this was a Jewish problem. And that's what he's doing. But remember, Paul's a Roman citizen, which gives him some rights that not everybody has. And he's going to keep using those along these next few chapters. You're going to see how he keeps pulling on that card to help in the process. 
and which all makes sense. I, you use what, whatever tools the Lord gives you along the way, and Paul was certainly good about that. All right, having said that, let's, let's pick it up in Acts chapter 23, then verses 1 through 35. Uh, you can follow along as I read to you if you want, or it should be there in your, in your notes, um, but I can't read them that small, so... Uh, here we go. Acts chapter 23, verses 1 and following. Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, that's the ruling body, Brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. At this, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. Those who were standing near Paul said, You dare to insult God's high priest? And Paul replied, Brothers, I did not realize that he was the high priest, for it is written, Do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. Then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and the others Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, My brothers, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. I stand on trial because of my hope in the resurrection of the dead. When he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. The Sadducees say there is no resurrection, and that there are neither angels nor spirits, which is why they are sad, you see. I know, it's really old, but I can't help myself. But the Pharisees acknowledged them all. There was a great uproar, and some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man, they said. What if a spirit or an angel had spoken to him? The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring them into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. The next morning, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. Nice guys. More than 40 men were involved in this plot. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, We have taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we have killed Paul. Now then, you and the Sanhedrin petitioned the commander to bring him before you on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about his case. We are ready to kill him before he gets here. But when the son of Paul's sister heard of this plot, he went into the barracks and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the commander. He has something to tell him. So he took him to the commander. The centurion said, Paul, the prisoner, sent for me and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took the young man by the hand, drew him aside and asked, What is it you want to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul before the Sanhedrin tomorrow on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about him. Don't give in to them, because more than 40 of them are waiting in ambush for him. They have taken an oath not to eat or drink until they have killed him. They are ready now, waiting for your consent to their request. The commander dismissed the young man and cautioned him, don't tell anyone that you have reported this to me. Then he called two of his centurions and ordered them, get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at nine tonight. Provide mounts for Paul so that he may be taken safely to Governor Felix. He wrote a letter as follows. Claudius Lysias, to His Excellency, Governor Felix. Greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and they were about to kill him. But I came with my troops and rescued him, for I learned that he is a Roman citizen. 
I wanted to know why they were accusing him, so I brought him to their Sanhedrin. I found that the accusation had to do with questions about their law, but there was no charge against him that deserved death or imprisonment. When I was informed of a plot to be carried out against the man, I sent him to you at once. I also ordered his accusers to present to you their case against him. So the soldiers, carrying out their orders, took Paul with them during the night, and they brought him as far as Antipatris. The next day they left the Calvary, they let the Calvary go on with him while they returned to the barracks. When the Calvary arrived in Caesarea, they delivered the letter to the governor and handed Paul over to him. The governor read the letter and asked what province he was from. Learning that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear your case when your accusers get here. And then he ordered that Paul be kept under guard in Herod's palace. And blessed be the word of the Lord. Okay, so uh, here we have, again, you know, this, this constant struggle that we've had from the beginning of the church with the established religious leaders of the day who've rejected the message of Christ. And these are the ones commissioned to uphold the law, and yet we see them breaking the law at every turn. Uh, and they justify it by saying they're trying to uphold it. Um, but that's, that's pretty shaky ground to be standing on. And again, we see another plot to kill one of the messengers uh, that God has there in the Apostle Paul. Um, this time, it's, it's 40 guys. We'll talk about them in a moment. So uh, anyway, the commander has, has Paul, and he wants to find out what's going on. Remember, Paul did the big speech the last time, and he did it in Aramaic. Most likely, the commander didn't know what that was because the commander was a Roman citizen, probably spoke Roman and, and Greek, and, and yet Paul addressed the crowd in Aramaic, which is more of a Jewish thing in that area. So the, the commander says, all right, let's take you in front of the religious leading, the, the Jewish leading group, the Sanhedrin, and find out what's going on. And uh, this is a really quick sort of interaction. Because um, Paul kind of gets up and makes a quick defense saying, hey, guys, I haven't done anything wrong. And, and when you read in the next chapter or the one after that, you're going to see Paul coming to Jerusalem, and he's done everything by the book. These are false accusations. Uh, and he says, hey, I haven't done anything wrong. And, and uh, the high priest orders those people standing near Paul to smack him in the mouth. That seems rough, doesn't it? They smack him in the mouth. And Paul's reaction is, is very intense at, at being smacked in the mouth. And he says, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law that you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. That's pretty heavy talk. He's basically saying, you know, who are you to even begin to do this because the very order is a violation of the law to have me struck because I haven't been proven guilty of anything. And so that would have been a violation of the law. Now, when it's pointed out to Paul that the high priest commanded this, um, Paul's interesting response is, oh, um, I didn't know it was a high priest. Now, depending on wh where you get that from, there's, there's one of two things. Either he was, he was, it was ironic because he was saying if he really was a high priest, he would never order it, I'd be smacked in the mouth. You know, It was either sarcastic or something in the assembly, Paul didn't know that that was the high priest. There were, either he wasn't in his garments or it got you know, together quick, something, and, and so that was the response. He goes, because Paul then quotes scripture and says, yeah, you're right, you're not supposed to judge or say anything harshly against the ruler of your people. It's an Exodus sort of comment. Um, I, I think at this point, Paul might be a little worked up. Paul's an interesting guy, you know. And uh, 
And so while most uh, sort of discussion is that what I said second was probably more true, that he just didn't recognize, the, and those high priests would change pretty often, um, that he didn't recognize him, because he had spent, remember, a lot of time in Jerusalem, you know, 20 years ago. Uh, uh, I kind of think that he was, he was been pushed around enough that he was like, there's no way you could be a high priest and make that statement. So anyway, it was one or the other. So ultimately what Paul does is he says, hey, look, you've got to respect the office even if you don't respect the person in it. And uh, that has a lot to do with what we're called to in, in people that are, are called to govern over us. And, uh, and so that he, he ultimately agrees to that process. Now, seeing the things that were getting a little out of hand, I love what Paul does next because he's, I think this is pretty interesting. He, he uh, changes tracks on everybody. And what he does is he, he says to the assembled crowd, kind of off point, but not a lie, I'm here today because I believe in the resurrection. And see, the Sanhedrin was made up of Pharisees and Sadducees. Pharisees who believed in the resurrection and Sadducees who didn't. And so it, it, it's a very, it's a hot debate. He knows it. And so he pulls the trigger. And guess what happens? They start fighting each other. He divides the enemy. And I, I, part of me thinks he's just kind of grinning at this point. You know what I mean? Because that's Paul. And, and, and if you kind of look at him like I do, that was brilliant. You know what I mean? And, the, and what happens is, now the Pharisees begin defending him. They begin to say, we see nothing wrong with this man. He's a Pharisee. He believes it. Maybe it was an angel or a spirit that, that even told him to say those things. See how cool that is? But it gets so hot, the commander goes, well, this isn't working. And he grabs Paul up, takes him back to the barracks. He said, well, I get nothing out of that whole process. I'm not sure what I'm going to do, but we're going to head back. So all that's happened in verse 10. Verse 11, very cool. Um, uh, in that the Lord shows up to Paul, and, and the way it's written is comes and stands beside him and says to him, uh, take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. And so it's a, I think it's an encouragement, which is very important, and it's also a confirmation that Paul's on track and he's doing what he's supposed to be doing in Jerusalem and ultimately in Rome because Paul's always wanted to go to Rome and uh, preach the gospel. So, uh, that happens through verse 11. Now, verses 12 through 24, pretty interesting in that all of a sudden, and he doesn't get named, apparently Paul's got a sister in Jerusalem that we never hear of and because he's got a nephew there as well. And these people never get named, and you wonder, well, why aren't they just staying with him? I don't know. But nonetheless, the nephew hears about a plot by the Jewish leaders where 40 of them have... Uh, taken a solemn oath that they're not going to eat or drink until they kill Paul. Do you wonder, because Paul got out of town, what do you think they did with that oath? <laughs> okay, oy vey, I'm hungry, forget it. <laughs> Just a guess, I don't know. Um, so so uh, the nephew hears about it and goes and tells Paul. Paul says, go tell the commander. And the commander takes this very seriously, because now Paul's a Roman citizen, remember. He's got to take care of him. He's got to protect him. So he says, okay, look, here's what you're going to do. You're going to put together. Look, that's a pretty significant army that he puts together. 200 foot soldiers, 70 guys on horses, and 200 guys with spears to protect Paul against this, this group that might get him. And 
Not only does he get 470 men together to take care of it, he sends them out at 9 o'clock at night. Paul, if you go back and read, he's often escorted out of town at night. <laughs> I think that's funny. All right, Paul, we're taking you out as soon as it gets dark, buddy. Let's go. So um, that's what happens. They take him out. This huge group goes. Boom, 9 o'clock. They get him out. They get him a few miles down the road um, where they know he's going to be safe. And then the, um, the foot soldiers and the spearmen drop back, and the, the 70 cavalry guys escort Paul on horseback to um, Caesarea, which is the port city, and it's a big, bigger Roman uh, city. And the governor is there, Felix. And um, so they're going to send to him to deal with the situation. Now, um, I like this letter, too. I think I get a kick out of this. The, and, and generally, I, it was part of the thing. There's other letters like this written uh, in, in, that we recorded for us in the New Testament when, when a, a, someone under someone else is sending a problem along, they accompany it with a letter. And he writes this letter, and he, he, he twists the truth a little. He makes himself sound pretty good for rescuing Paul, him and his soldiers, when in fact that really wasn't exactly how it happened. And, of course, he omits the whole part about nearly having him flogged. Uh, he doesn't include that either. I send this little letter on, look how good I've been, and this is the problem, and I can't find an answer, so I'm sending to you. Here you go. And so Paul arrives there safely, and uh, Felix reads the letter, and he looks at Paul, asks him where he's from, and, and it just so happens that Paul, as a Roman citizen, um, was from an area that actually falls under the jurisdiction of Felix, and he says, okay, I can hear this case then. And uh, as soon as the accusers come and present their side, we'll, we'll see what we're going to do. And again, we're left hanging. Uh, Luke leaves us at another cliffhanger. This is just like 24. Uh, everyone a cliffhanger. <laughs> the show 24, yeah. In case you never watched it, they... Never mind. Um, <laughs> see, a lot of these things fall apart. Um, so, so that's where we're at at the end of this chapter now. Paul, and over these next few chapters, Paul's going to keep going in front of various officials and um, people of royalty. Um, and, and it's going to go on for quite a while. He's going to make it to Rome. He's going to be there even in captivity for quite a while. But in all of these places, there he's, he gets to preach. And, and, and so the gospel spreads. And he's going to be preaching the gospel in his defense. Ultimately, his, his defense is the gospel to people in very high places in the government, which has significant impact in the course of history over time. And so um, it's an introduction of uh, Christianity to many of these people who hear what happens. And Paul is an excellent communicator. He makes his points very well. And you just couldn't listen to Paul uh, and not take it at some level. Now, um, that's why so many people end up in the church. Um, or they would, they, they would hear it and, and they, would, they would get so frustrated because they couldn't come against it so they decide to kill him that's what he's faced over and over and over again but now he's he's in a sort of uh, protective custody if you would by by the romans uh, who are trying to get to the bottom of the situation and next week when we come back a delegation of the sanhedrin will show up and present their case which is all lies it's, it's amazing that that the 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 contrast that luke keeps saying is these people were to defend the law are constantly presenting false accusations that they know to be false. And, and you know, remember Jesus was the truth. It's a, he's making a significant point about what's going on here. And so that's what you're going to see as you continue on. Uh, if you get ahead and read next chapter, you'll find that we're going to find out what happens in the next encounter. But 
it comes to another cliffhanger, I promise you, and it does it again, and it does it again. And then the book ends, Acts 28, just kind of like that. So, uh, on a, and it ends that way on purpose. Do you know why? Because it's, it continues on in us. We're not adding to the canon, don't hear me saying, we're not writing Bible. But the story continues on in us. And I think Luke ended it that way on purpose. Okay, that's all we're going to do today. Um, if you're watching by video, thank you for watching. And uh, if you need anything, call us, write us. We'll do whatever we can. Um, and, and God bless you. Let me know when you shut that video down upstairs, please, but you can turn it off now. We're going to go ahead and